This is the Create Yourself Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Create Yourself Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing my uh, friend and mentor, Cody McBroom. Um, I, I, I essentially found Cody about a year ago, started uh, following a lot of his stuff that he was putting out on social media, started listening to his podcast, um, and then really was captivated by his, just his story and um, the uh, love the information he was putting out, really helped me to grow as a coach, um, and then in turn helped me to uh, grow my team in the process. Um, so uh, finally able to get him on my podcast, so it's a real treat for you guys to be able to listen to uh, you know his story, how he makes uh, workouts for people, the, the whole shebang. I thought we we're going to be able to get into a whole bunch of stuff with, you know, training, nutrition, business, and lifestyle, but really uh, just a, two programming heads just talking about making workouts. So um, hope you enjoy it. And then uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. All right, Cody McBroom on the uh, Create Yourself podcast. Uh, this is a, a pretty cool thing for me just because for the past year I've been uh, consuming your content left and right. Like, I don't think there's a podcast that I have not listened to of yours yet, even back to uh, the very beginning with Theo and stuff. So pretty cool to have you on. Uh, I, I feel like it's a huge pleasure for myself and my listeners to have you on here. Thank you, man. That means a lot to me. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that my content is providing some value, dude. It means a lot to me. And it's, it's been a fun journey. Dude. We have a, quite a few episodes out there. So it's cool that you've uh, listened to that many, and especially that you've heard some of the ones with Theo, because those are some of my favorite, man. I miss having him on the show just because it was like, such good camaraderie right just i mean half the time i felt like i was breaking down the science and he was just giving me shit but it, it <laughs> made for it made for a funny podcast he's a he's he's a pretty interesting, interesting dude i watch a lot of his stuff like on instagram and stuff now and uh, i've actually got a couple of my coaches into it also uh actually one of the girls that i'm bringing with me to your seminar this weekend um she's gone back to the very beginning and she's like i'm like a junkie right now listening to cody's podcast so uh she'll probably fangirl a little bit on you this weekend I love um, it, dude. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, jumping into this thing, um, I, I really think that our listeners can get a ton of value from like hearing your story. A lot of people, myself included, we see these people on Instagram that have thousands and thousands of followers. They're doing all this really cool stuff. They've got you know great thoughts around training and nutrition. They're helping you know tons of people. I think it's always cool to have to like hear that backstory. For instance, like when I heard your story uh, from myself, like it was a really cool thing to hear. Um, so let's jump into that a little bit. Like who, who is Cody McBroom? How did you get to where you are? Um, let's go right into it. Yeah. Um, Cody McBroom, I've never, you know, it's funny. Uh, the first time I was ever asked that in that way was actually very recently. And I actually changed my Instagram, like little bio thing because of it. Cause somebody asked me like, who is Cody McBroom? My first response was I'm a father, I'm a fiance and I'm an entrepreneur. And I realized that like, I never answered that question that way. So that, I mean, in a nutshell, that's who I am, man. I am a fitness enthusiast. I love everything. I'm damn near obsessed. I, I would classify, classify myself as obsessed in a healthy way um, with training and nutrition. I always have been, I am a father to a um, one-year-old. In fact, we just got her one-year-old shots today. So that oh, was man. hell. Um, <laughs> the worst, like eight different shots. I felt so bad for the little girl. Um, I am a fiance to Shannon Katzer. We were getting married in August and uh, man, I just love training and nutrition. So it all started way, way back in shit. I was my freshman year of college. So I was going to a community college, but I was overweight, man. I, I always grew up chubby. 
in high school, I kind of hit a growth spurt. Um, never really got lean. I was still quote unquote skinny fat, but I was skinny fat enough to be athletic. So I played yeah. sports. Um, I specifically played soccer and then more extreme sports. So like BMX, uh, skateboarding, snowboarding, stuff like that. But I took soccer um, pretty seriously and I ended up playing for multiple teams, uh, indoor, outdoor, varsity, club soccer, a bunch of different stuff year round. It was pretty competitive. And then junior year, I tore my meniscus um, the first time had complete repair surgery and I just I, I was one of those people that just never really trained I never worked out I, ne I literally have never been in the gym so when I went to do rehab I just didn't take it seriously I like rode the bike I went to a couple PT sessions and then I started skipping them to go party with my friends instead and and when I got back into soccer I just was not in the right place to actually play but my mindset was ready to compete again so I started playing soccer and then I tore my ACL and the same exact knee preseason of varsity uh, on my senior year of high school which just oh, sucked because after having one surgery gaining a little bit of weight and then having a, s a second injury and then gaining more weight I was just kind of left in this place like okay I'm not gonna go play soccer out of college anymore because that was my plan mm -hmm. start at a junior college and then make it to a university after that um, I can't do that now because I can't play soccer I can't skateboard I can't snowboard um, my friends are off in college playing ball and I just kind of had nothing man I, I wouldn't say I was depressed but I was definitely in a weird state of mine where I just had no motivation. I had no direction, no clarity. Um, you, I kind of just woke up without caring. I really, cause there was nothing to really care about. Um, so I started going to community college. My dad put me in Highline community college, uh, in Des Moines, Washington, um, just for business. He was like, Hey, this is what I did. Um, I didn't finish, but it got me on the right path. You right. can get into the oil industry and sell oil just like I do. You're a great talker. You can be a salesman. And I was like, shit, whatever, man. I mean, I guess I'll do that. He was stressed to the gills. He made a lot of money, but um, work kind of separated him from us when we were kids. And that caused what I believe caused the divorce. And then that created a lack of relationship with me and him. So I kind of looked at what he did as something I didn't want to do just from my experiences of growing up with him. Um, but I had no other option. Um, so I'm in school and I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm in the gym. I finally decided, you know, like I looked in the mirror and I saw myself and was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like you're just at a point where you're, you're 18 years old. Um, yeah, almost 19. So I was 18 years old because I graduated high school at 17. I looked in the mirror for the first time. Just it sounds so weird saying, but like just butt ass naked. And I just looked at myself <laughs> and was like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're 18, you're fat, you're out of shape, you you're not athletic, like you don't have any direction. Like I just had a real talk with myself and it was pretty depressing talk. But I kind of went cold turkey on everything, man. I, I stopped partying for a little bit um, at the time smoking weed and just doing stupid shit with my friends. I cut all that out, stopped hanging out with the bad crowd. I stopped eating junk food, stopped drinking soda, like all the shit that young adults do. I just kind of cut it out and started working out and I started losing a little weight, but I was doing it the wrong way. I was trying, fuck, I tried HCG, which was like these, I don't know if you, do you remember HCG, the little droplets you put in your mouth? I think so. Like you dropped on your tongue, right? Yeah. So I was, I worked at Rite Aid back then. So they had them at the, <laughs> oh, yeah, the drugstore basically. So I was like, fuck it, let's do these. You basically eat like a rice cake for breakfast and lunch, like this enlarged rice cake. And then you have like chicken and brown rice for dinner. So you're eating 500 calories a day. Um, so it's probably not the drops that work. It's probably the 500 calories a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I lost weight and then I was miserable after three weeks and gained it right back. And then I tried something else and same thing. Like I just tried everything and, and I was in the gym at the college and the college, one of the college professors walked up to me and was basically like, Hey, I can show you a better way to help your knee. Cause I had a big knee brace on and I'm sitting there doing knee extensions, which is probably not a good idea to rehab. Right. And he, uh, and I was like, 
ignorant 18 year old and was just kind of like, whatever, dude, and just kind of brushed it off. Um, but he ran a personal fitness development program at the college and ends up, it ends up being top three in the state or I'm sorry, in the country for personal training development courses, um, rated by like live strong and all these cool places, FMS, like he knows Mike Boyle, great cook, Charlie Weingroff, all these people, Dan John, all these great strength coaches in the industry. Um, and I had no idea who he was. I was just kind of whatever, dude. Um, long story short, I was in business class and decided that it wasn't for me. I, uh, stood up, left the class and I was walking by his classroom, saw a baby crawling on the projector and they were going over like quadruped movement patterns. Um, and I thought it was super cool. So I just walked into the class. He told me to stop by and I ended up skipping my classes to attend his for like a little bit. And that's when I decided to switch my degree. I forged my dad's signature, changed my degree over to fitness man. And the rest is history. I started writing blogs and started writing for the school newsletter. And I started interning at his facility. And then I interned at bigger ground, which was Luca Hosevar's facility. He later hired me. And then, you know, six, seven years later, I'm just training people six days a week, writing blogs every single day, putting out content, going to seminars and just, just living in that like young trainers life where I'm just literally doing everything I can to just educate myself. I finally created Boom Boom Performance um, as a legal business, and, and that's when it really started taking off as my sole career was this online coaching. Um, and that's where we are today. We run Boom Boom Performance. I have a lot of different content going out, eBooks, podcasts, blogs. We have a team of coaches. It's, it's been pretty crazy and really humbling to see what it's built into today. Um, but man, it's just it all started back just trying to educate myself, really, to, to just learn how to get better. Man, who would have known that your, you said your professor like was connected to the who's who of like oh, dude. everywhere. I, I've read probably a blog from every single person that you mentioned that he knew. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. And the funny thing is, is like he, uh, at one point he helped, I want to say he was one of the strength coaches on the Buccaneers, but he helped with like Deion Sanders. He helped with uh, Michael Phelps at one point a little bit. Um, he did a lot of stuff for the Turkish Olympic team. He did a lot of stuff for Olympic swimmers. And I want to say Michael Phelps was on his list, but like some of the people he worked with and some of the people he trained, it was just like insane the amount of people who knew him and who knew Tim. Like his name was Tim Vagan. And, and to this day, like I was actually just on OPEX, um, the OPEX fitness podcast. And I was telling my story and I mentioned Tim Vagan. And the guy was like, no shit, you know, Tim Vagan. <laughs> and I was like, no way, you know, too. So it's, he's really well known, um, especially for the older strength coaches. And by older, I just mean the pioneers, the people who really just started a lot of the, the smart stuff in the industry that we know today. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, I also didn't know you. I've heard your story a few times through uh, different podcasts, but it was pretty cool. Um, there was a couple more nuggets that I had, I, had, I guess I had missed before, but um, I, I, I guess I didn't know that, um, Man, it, it, you always hear like something I notice when I hear like all these coaches, what I consider like to be great coaches talk about like their past. Um, something that's always common is like there was a period of time where they went through the same stuff, you know, like um, being overweight, being fat, like hating how they look. And then like I find that helps uh, like the, the coach relate to the client better that way. Um, but even there were some pieces in there with you that I had never heard before. Um, which is interesting to share. I wish that more coaches would share that kind of stuff because I bet they can get more out of their clients by sharing that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Dude. I'm, I'm such an open book. And I think transparency, if there was one like marketing hack I could get for coaches listening to this, it's really to just be transparent. Um, if there's one thing that's helped me over the years connect with people, it's that I'm just real, man. And I just tell my story. And, and I 100% agree. I think the grind and the 
moments of depression and moments of anxiety and moments of being overweight and lacking confidence and, and being even like, I remember when I lost a bunch of weight and I was finally lean and then I step into Luca's gym and I start training with these guys and I'm like, man, I'm the smallest dude here and I'm the weakest dude here. So now it's like, I'm finally lean and like feeling good. And then it immediately shifts and it's like, you're back to square one, but that's what helped me grow. And I think that's what gave me my work ethic. I was telling um, Shannon this the other day because we were talking about um, just like genetic freaks on Instagram who post pictures, you know, and just like market themselves. And I'm like, I have some buddies that are like that, that don't like put it out there and like flaunt it, but that are genetic freaks. And I'm like, man, like, Sometimes I just think like, I wish so bad that I could just eat whatever I wanted and train a few days a week and just be a monster like that, dude. Um, and in fact, we were watching uh, Creed 2 and it was uh, Michael B. Jordan. And she was like, damn, he got jacked this movie. I was like, that dude's a genetic freak. You can just yeah, tell. Yeah. And he did probably work hard, but um, he's a genetic freak. And then I thought about it and I was like, man, actually, I'm glad I'm not that way. Because if I was, I don't think my work ethic would be the same and I wouldn't appreciate the hard work and and the grinding days in the gym and dieting and all those things that I have to do in order to stay lean and and be muscular and all these things. Like it gives me so much fuel and really just tools to help use with clients. It's so true. Cause like, um, that's something I battle with, you know, mentally all the time when I'm looking at like, you know, the, the Instagram coaches and you know, you got this bodybuilder, this jacked and he starts pushing his program and you got this power lifter that's really strong and he's pushing his program. Um, but ultimately, they're, they're like, I would argue that most of the people that are pushing that stuff are genetic freaks and probably aren't as knowledgeable as some of these other coaches that are out there. Um, and that's actually what drew me to you and like your information in the first place is because like, I felt you talked about training as training. Like it wasn't like, like obviously you, you, you use bodybuilding, you use powerlifting, um, you use uh, functional bodybuilding, all these different things. But uh, ultimately your training was training for the person. It wasn't like fitting into one specific box. Um, and it, which is, this is a good segue into something I wanted to ask you, like, what is your style of training? Like, uh, for your clients, for yourself, like, um, often like when I'm explaining you to somebody, I'm often equating you to like a, like a Bruce Lee, like you don't have a specific style. It's just like, if, if something helps you to make a person more fit or stronger or more muscular, it seems like you gravitate towards that thing and you don't fit into a box. But if you were to classify like your style, what would you say that is? Man, first of all, the fact that you just mentioned Bruce Lee in the same sentence like that, (laughs) I'm blessing right now. (laughs) That's Um, like the best compliment I've ever had. Um, I grew up with a picture of him on the wall. That was like one of the, it's funny, like, the two pictures I had on my wall when I really got into training and wanted to get in shape was that one black and gray one of uh, Arnold with his arms wide open in front of the crowd. And then the other one was of Bruce Lee. That's not um, like so a big poster now that, uh, that icon, what is it called? Yeah. Uh, iconic. It's like exactly. conquer and it's just Arnold yeah. big and Jack all, all uh, black and white or whatever. Yep. Yep. That's exact one. So, uh, but man, like, you know, what's funny is like when Marcus Philly came out with functional bodybuilding, I, I hit myself because I was like, fuck, I should have came up with that. It's such <laughs> a good tagline. And it, although I program different than him, um, I look at what I do as functional bodybuilding. I think we have two different perspectives of it. He comes from a CrossFit background. So it's definitely like shifting CrossFit into a more controlled strength training modality. I look at it from my perspective as taking, like you said, powerlifting and bodybuilding are two concepts that are very specific tools to lead to a result, right? They're fundamental, just keys in, in 
tools and metrics and just processes behind those things that just, they don't change, right? I don't care who it is. I don't care what the goal is, no matter what volume, intensity, and frequency dominate everything, right? Like those are the three keys to programming success. Technically, when we look at studies and we look at powerlifting and bodybuilding, certain amount of volume is going to lead to better hypertrophy and we need to tweak frequency in order to better adhere to the amount of volume that you're going to hit. And with intensity, that's the way we're going to build more strength. So we need a little bit of that for bodybuilding and we need a lot of that for powerlifting. So I kind of look at that and then I take that and go, okay, how can we make this a little bit more functional? Not only functional in the sense of how we move on a daily basis. Um, so for example, like a bench press, when am I ever just laying on the floor with a, a heavy weight on my chest and I have to press it off me? That's arguably not as functional as doing like a weighted push up or a overhead press with a kettlebell. I get that. And I do implement those things, but I mean functional in the sense of adherence as well, because we know adherence is the biggest key. So if I give a 40-year-old dad who is a busy entrepreneur and just wants to get rid of his beer gut and have bigger arms, a 12-month periodized mesocycle built for a power lifter, like with exact percentages and like you have to spend two hours in the gym, like that guy's not going to do it. He's going to be like, what the hell is this, man? Like, I understand it could give me great results, but there's no way I can follow this. Right. So my whole take on this, this whole topic, I guess, is my philosophy. I guess I can't call it functional bodybuilding, but it's, it's very much so, like taking the principles of what actually lead to results from science and applying them into real life. So I guess you could call it like science applied. Like my goal is to take the science and I do the same thing in nutrition. Like uh, I came into nutrition seminar at your facility and you remember, like I talk <clears> a lot about the the science but i'm like let's bring this down to your level because we're not in the lab here we're, we're in real life and we're working with real people so my goal is basically to take the concepts behind volume intensity frequency a little bit of the concepts behind like tempo training which if we look at the studies doing a five second negative actually isn't that much more uh, beneficial than a regular negative uh, the reality is volume is volume so you are probably better off doing a two second negative and adding more weight but if somebody has shoulder issues or somebody doesn't have the skill behind a single arm dumbbell bench press, I might add tempo so they can slow down, try to feel the muscle, keep their joints healthy, so on and so forth. And then last but not least, rest periods. How long do you have in the gym? Do we need to get your heart rate up because you need a little bit of a metabolic effect? Um, are we using supersets to, to keep the things condensed, keep your heart rate up, keep you sweating, keep you happy and having fun? Like all these little tools kind of putting them together to make a plan that's actually adherable to the individual and so that they don't have to think about where's my volume, where's my intensity, am I hitting the maximum recoverable volume to elicit the most change in my body, so on and so forth. Like that's the shit I should be worrying about. So my goal really, man, is like I would say science applied training is the best way to describe it because I think I'd try my hardest to take all the science because I love geeking out on that stuff and apply it in a way that the average individual can actually adhere to. And it's funny you said that I had a conversation with my, uh, with one of my, my coaches the other day. Um, he's, he's learning the ropes on how to program for our group classes and stuff. And uh, one of the issues that I, I was seeing as I was evaluating his programming was that he was making a lot of things that like on paper is good programming on paper is something that it's got all the scientific principles in it. You know, we're recovering all the bases, we're working the weaknesses, the whole thing. But uh, what we were seeing through some of that <clears throat> style training was that our attendance numbers were a little bit lower. So my, my thing that I said to him was like, you have to play this line between doing things that somebody absolutely should do versus like something that somebody's actually going to do. Right. And that's something I, 
you know, I've done a few certifications that you and I have spoken about here recently. Um, and, and the thing that I battled with one of them was that it was so like evidence, so scientific based that you're talking about making programs that, yeah, it's really good sound principles, but, um, does the person even care about their energy systems as much as you do? And then in turn, are they going to enjoy doing that programming? So I had to tell him that same conversation. Like, look, man, we just got to make something that's an even blend between like, what are they going to do? What are they going to enjoy? And then what is going to benefit them all at the same time? I think that's so key. I think that's probably one of the biggest things for most coaches, man. And, and it's hard because, you know, as coaches, we love the science, we love studying. And, and I think everybody has to go through space. There was a point in my career years ago where, like a good example of this is intermittent fasting. I remember jumping into intermittent fasting when this was like right when Jay Ferugia came out with the Renegade Diet, which is, dude, like probably seven years ago, like a long ass time ago, right? And this was before intermittent fasting like blew up. And I did it and it was perfect because I worked, um, I, I was an intern during the day and I worked night shifts um, at Rite Aid and then I would work out and then I'd go home. Um, so I sleep in and then I would have like study time and then I'd go, actually I was going to school. I was doing a bunch of shit, but the point was I would sleep in, I'd be busy all day, train super late at night and then eat and then go to bed. So intermittent fasting worked perfect. I'd fast 16 to 18 hours. I'd have one meal work out and then have a huge meal at night and I got ripped and it was perfect. And then I was like, all my clients need to intermittent fast. So I put them all in this intermittent fasting protocol. I was like, they're going to get great results. I'm going to be the best trainer at the gym. And nobody adhered to it except like one guy who was a busy entrepreneur and had to wake up and get to work right away. And I failed to understand what people needed, right? Like not like from a science perspective, but from an application perspective. So I 100% agree with you. I think the most important thing is looking at studies and looking at science, looking at the research and thinking, this is great in theory, but is it great in application? Will my client adhere to this? Because no matter how great the theory is, nothing is going to be productive to results if they can't stay consistent with it we need at least i even tell people like we make an adjustment in your training or nutrition i'm not even going to touch another thing until at least two weeks go by so if you can't even adhere for that long then we're doing something wrong right so i i'm a hundred percent on the same page with you and i think that a big piece of my philosophy is just that man it's just application and adherence and consistency like my job is to to make this sustainable for people I love it. I love it. Um, so, you know, within these programs, right, obviously we're trying to make something that people can stick to something that people are going to enjoy. Um, I feel there's also some things that like, no matter what, like it's a non-negotiable, it needs to go in there. So if we're, 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 we're talking in completely general terms, like when you start making a program for somebody, what are like some non-negotiable, um, either movement patterns or exercises that you feel like no matter what, um, a person needs to do xyz yeah um so usually for me and this has been this is one thing that i will say like for anybody who's listening that is a brand new coach the most important thing you can do is find a mentor day one um like it doesn't mean you need to pay for a mastermind or anything like that yeah like wait till you run a business to be able to do that but the fact that i had tim vegan on my side from day one helped me so much man because i came into it and i was like all right i got a uh, arm day, a shoulder day, a quad day. Like I had that whole bro set up and I didn't understand anything besides muscles. Right. Um, and even then I didn't really understand the anatomy of them. And Tim was like, no, you have to think in movement patterns, push, pull, hip, knee, core. Like that was his thing. Push, pull, hip, knee, core. If you program a push, a pull, a hip hinge, a knee dominant movement, ideally unilaterally and something for their core, 
you've just hit every functional movement pattern you can hit and you probably just hit every muscle group as well but you're doing it in a way that's going to prevent injuries and build functional strength so i really started taking a grip to that and i kind of changed things over time so like one fundamental thing that doesn't change no matter who you are <clears throat> is that you're going to always do a push a pull a hip hinge something for your knees and then something for your core if I had to pick one movement for each, like let's say somebody's only working with me once a day, I'm only doing horizontal pushing and pulling simply because I want their shoulders to be healthy. Um, it's just easier on the shoulders. And a lot of people have poor thoracic and uh, shoulder mobility. So it's going to be hard to get overhead with load. Um, even pulling down is hard for some people with poor shoulder um, health and, and bad thoracic mobility. I'm going to do some kind of hip hinge and then I'm going to do some kind of knee dominant movement. A lot of people would argue that the squat is the go-to, but personally, if I had to choose one, I'd probably choose a split squat variation because so many people have imbalances and so many people have poor knee stability that I would rather still work the quads while improving their unilateral stability and unilateral movement patterns. I think that's very important for people. Um, and then last, if you're doing something for your core, you're probably doing something like a carry or a plank, some kind of stability-based thing. You should be able to hold a heavy load and walk with stability, or you should be able to hold a plank with good posture. Um, so that's kind of the fundamentals. As time went on, I kind of started tweaking things. So for example, there's always two to one ratio of horizontal to vertical. So whether we're talking about pushing or pulling, so like pressing or rowing, they're always going to have twice as many in the horizontal plane as you are the vertical plane. And I don't even care if somebody can reach overhead with great mobility. I still program this way because I believe it's going to lead to healthier shoulders over time because you can always get wear and tear on your shoulders. Um, next, I'm going to pull, especially horizontally, twice as much as I'm going to press. And I do that for everybody as well. Even if somebody's like, hey, I really want to get bigger shoulders and chest, and then I give them their program, they're like, why am I rowing so much? I'm like, because... If you just press and just do lateral raise and stuff, you're going to get bicep tendon issues. You're going to have um, impingements in your shoulders. You're going to have a protracted posture. Just trust me. And your chest will look bigger when you get bigger traps. Just wait. Um, and it always works. So in their bench goes up and they can handle board loads, so on yeah. and so forth. So those are some kind of key fundamentals. I think for me, like ideally, like I won't argue the fact that the squat is such a great movement that I'm probably going to program that in everybody's plan, even if it's a, um, a split squat versus a goblet squat versus a back squat. Like as long as you're squatting, I think that's pretty good. Um, but I think there's arguments for deadlifts as well. So the main thing for me is just making sure that we're locking down the movement patterns, push, pull, hip, knee, core, um, either every day or balanced throughout the week. Cause I still do believe in like push, pull leg splits or upper lower splits. Um, and then two to one ratio of pressing to pulling. And at the end of the week, I look at my total volume for a client. It's almost always in that favorable outcome. Now there are some clients that will look at their program that I put out and they'll be like, Hey, like I have about the same amount of pulling to pressing. And I'm like, okay, well let's look at your warm up." And all of a sudden they realize they're doing a bunch of face pulls, a bunch of band pull parts, a bunch of rows, a bunch of like leg reaches and some posterior stuff for the legs. And they're like, Oh shit, never mind. I have way more posterior chain than anterior chain. Um, so that's a big concept for me is just basically the, the movement patterns and then keeping more volume in the posterior. So the backside of your body versus the anterior, which is the front side of your body. That's funny. You, you, that's funny. You mentioned the, um, the, like everybody's going to say that the squat is like your your foundational movement pattern. I used to be that guy, like, if you're not squatting, you're not training, you know, like just, you know, complete junior coach, just not knowing what I'm talking about. Um, and, and I, you know, I've done a complete 180 on that. And now I'm of the, the same train of thought that you said, like you can get a lot of, a lot of bang for your buck with single leg work. 
um, just just purely for the, the the health and strength of the the hips and knees, right? And then yeah. um, lately, just taking a step back and doing things like goblet squats and making those look really good, focusing on tension, keeping your torso upright. That's been something that's been huge. And then I yeah, love what you, you said know. about the horizontal pulling. Like um, my, you know, when I started having all my CrossFitters doing all of this horizontal pulling, rowing, um, inverted bar rows, just all these yeah. different various face pulls, like. Um, at first, you know, you hear grumbles like we're CrossFitters. We don't do this bodybuilding stuff. But you, what came after that was, wow, I'm not hearing a lot of issues with shoulders anymore. Like yep. nobody's talking about neck pain from sitting at their desk all day. Like, and it was cool to see that swap around. Well, if you look at like one CrossFit as a sport, the only poles you're really doing are either clean poles or some kind of chin up. Mm-hmm. Um, very rarely you're doing any horizontal pull. The closest thing would be like a rope climb. When you lean back and pull, you're kind of getting into that horizontal plane. Um, but dude, like the, if you look at the elite level CrossFit coaches, most of them are adding in horizontal rows just like you do. And it's because it leads to better performance. So even for somebody who's like, hey, I want to build my bench. I'm like, okay, let's build up your traps and lats. And they're like, what? I'm like your shoulder girdle is going to be so much more stable. You're going to be able to pack down when you go to bench you're going to throw that weight up completely differently. Um, and you're going to take a lot of that tension out of your delts. Like I see that a lot. People bench press with their anterior delts too much and they wonder why they don't build their chest or they hit a big weight plateau or they have shoulder issues. It's like, let's get your back firing. It's going to pull your shoulders down. Your chest is going to be more active and that's the prime mover of the bench. So I'm hundred percent on the same page with you. And then, and then just to comment on the squat, man, like for me personally, I had to let go of the ego on that because for me, like I can do like a very heavy front squat. I can do a split squat. I can do like double kettlebell, single kettlebell, landmine, all these different front loaded squats. And I can sit into my hips really well because I'm limited on the weight I can lift, but now I'm evenly distributed. As soon as you put a bar on my back and I try to squat heavy, I tear an ACL tear and then actually just recovering right now from surgery for my on my back, I immediately shift away from that knee just as a protective mechanism. Um, if I'm body weight, I can squat to the ass to the floor and it's totally fine. But trying to avoid that is just going to be the best bet for me. And the reality is, and I learned this from working with people who had low back issues. If you want to build your quad strength, um, we can take two 50 pound dumbbells and do a split squat. That's a hundred pounds on that dominant quad, right? right. That's equal to 200 pounds on your back. The difference here is, because 200 pounds is gonna get split between both legs, the difference here is that's 100 pounds on your spine versus 200 pounds on your spine. And the 200 pounds is loaded on the top of your back, which is gonna compress your spine even more than dumbbells loaded at the side. So for me, I was like, holy shit, if I'm distributing half the weight on the bar to each leg anyway, why not hold some heavy ass dumbbells, build my grip strength and save my low back? So that was a game changer for me as well, just because I started seeing all these people who were like, oh, I can't squat because my back. And I'm like, cool, let's split squat. And they're building muscle, burning fat. They feel better. Their knees are healthier. Um, so yeah, man, I'm 100%. And I think that's part of the coaching journey, dude, is just like seeing these things. And I know you being in CrossFit, I'm sure you've seen so many different things over the years that needed to be fixed. And that's why your athletes are staying healthy. And that's something, you know, like I battled with this for a long time and uh, coming to a realization. And now um, I'm having these crucial conversations with uh, like, you know, my competitive athletes and my um, my everyday just people that I train, whether it's remotely or in the gym is like, um, you know, you mentioned things like loading your spine and like getting more bang for your buck uh, for your buck using things like 
um, rear foot elevated split squat and stuff. And uh, that goes with like longevity, right? So like these, you know, CrossFit athletes or power lifters or Olympic lifters, you always hear about them years later that they're like chewed up and spit out. And now they're of the camp of like, you know, I wish I would have paid more attention to like what I did to my body then, because now, you know, in the, in the long game, they're like, broken and that's something i'm talking a lot with especially my my competitive crossfitters right now is like like what are we at this point especially with the change in the season for us like what like what are we doing this for like is wrecking your body and doing these really heavy barbell loaded movements all the time training non-stop like not only is it probably wrecking your cns and your adrenals and like just your structure like is it worth it like can we get you to train with other modalities and still get the benefits without having to just pound yourself into a pulp. And like, what is that for in the first place? And it's something I've been, ha- these conversations, um, I'm having them more and more. And it's just, uh, it's hard to break through that barrier right now. People come into that realization themselves. It's dude, it's, it's kind of shitty. Cause it's almost like one of those things where you have to get hurt in order to understand that. Cause I'll be the first to admit, I didn't get it. Um, and this is my second knee surgery oh, and I'm finally like, I'm finally like, okay, enough is enough. You know what I mean? And, and I, I will say like, I've been working on the knee health for quite a while. Um, the reason I had the second surgery is because, uh, I found out that about five years ago I retore it and I've just been doing shit on it. <laughs> so, um, I've been trying to work on it, but it, it took me getting injured a couple of times to really understand that and, and kind of dive into it. But I think the good thing is, is people need to understand that the path to your goal isn't always the direct path. Sometimes it's the indirect path. And what I mean by that is an example is I remember setting out to say like, I'm going to add some weight to my bench press and I didn't bench for 90 days and I added 20 pounds to my, my bench, like legitimately added 20 pounds to my bench. And what, what I did is floor like dumbbell floor presses, neutral bar floor presses, incline dumbbell, alternating presses, a lot of landmine work, a lot of rowing. I basically saved my shoulders by just Mm -hmm. doing a ton of different variations a lot of neutral grip stuff, a lot of free weight stuff. Wasn't allowed to overload too much because I was limiting myself and my ability to do so. But by the time I came back to the bench, it just flew up. I still had the skill of pressing over my body. I just used a path to get there that wasn't going to beat up my body as much. Um, Another example is I remember having a client that did marathons and she had an Achilles tendon issue. So instead of me allowing her to continually run like she wanted to, I was like, hey, we're going to take time off. We're going to strength train. We're going to feed you the right way. We're going to do a lot of sled work and it's going to be very minimal. So you're just marching. Like I don't want you going and running. And she ended up getting her best half marathon time she's ever had like months down the road. We didn't go running a bunch. And it was like, you don't need to necessarily run. We can train your energy systems throughout different pathways that are much safer on your joints. Right. So sometimes it's just an indirect path that you need to take, but I a hundred percent agree, dude. You know, you talked a little bit about using your, uh, using dumbbell training to get your bench to go up. What do you think of, uh, you know, Jay Ferruzzo is a big, uh, proponent of that, of like only using, um, dumbbells and landmine variations and odd object stuff. Um, it pretty much sounds like you're on, you're on, uh, the same page as him with that sort of thinking. I would say I am, but not as extreme as he is. Um, and one thing I will give him credit to is he, dude, he's been in the industry for a long time. Um, I've met Jay personally multiple times. He's a great dude, very smart dude. Um, and the one thing I will say that he has on me is that he has older experience. So I don't know what my joints are going to feel like at 40 and I can't say that I do. However, I have worked with hundreds of clients that are 40 and older. And what I've noticed is the biggest thing you want to make sure you're doing is at that point, I think it's best to not barbell bench more than once a week. You know, there's a lot of people that 
if we look at daily undulated periodization, for example, the idea that two to three times a week we should hit a muscle group. Um, and if we really want to build muscle or build our bench, we should probably bench two to three times a week in different intensities. So have a strength day, a speed day, and a hypertrophy day. This is where theory, theoretically, that is very sound uh, advice. It's going to work great. Um, science shows that that's exactly what happens. In application, you're going to beat up your shoulders quite a bit. Right. <laughs> I'm of the camp of like, hey, let's do one heavy day of bench pressing where we do like four ramp up sets and then do like two to three actual heavy working sets. Um, and then the next day we have a lot of volume doing hypertrophy work with dumbbells. There's no reason why we can't build muscle with dumbbells because we know that we just need to be in a certain intensity zone. We need to stay in a certain volume zone. And really, we just need to get to like sub-maximal efforts, meaning we're stopping like one to two reps shy of failure. If you stop one to two reps shy of failure, you are guaranteed to be hitting the intensity needed to elicit stress and uh, muscle damage that's going to create more muscle growth. Like this has been documented. So it matters less that it's six reps or eight reps or 12 reps. It matters more that that is really your eighth rep or really your 12th rep. Like you don't have any more in the tank um, safely, I should say. Um, so for me, I'm, 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 I'm a bigger fan of, of changing the variations more frequently for sure. But I think it's smart to do one barbell day a week. Um, if not every other week at the, at the least, because it is still a skill. Um, if you're doing the bench press the right way, if you have strong upper back, strong lats, you know how to pack your shoulders and your technique with the bench is good. There's no reason you can't bench once a week at all. Um, I, I think the biggest issues I find with people is a, they have poor technique. B, they have weak backs. Um, C, they bench with their shoulders and D they do a chest day. So it's not necessarily the bench press that hurt you. It's the 20 sets of just straight chest for a whole entire day over the course of six months that really beat up your shoulders, right? Like right now I'm doing a push pull split. Like it's push pull rest, push pull arms because I can't train legs. I just tore my meniscus. But for me, like I'll spend a month or two at most doing like a push day where I do a lot of chest and shoulders. I still do a lot of trap work in my warm up to make sure my shoulders are healthy. But if I were to do that for six to eight months, like a bro split where I had a chest day, I'm guaranteed to have shoulder issues because I'm just hammering the chest for 20 sets throughout a workout without doing any pulls, no leg work, no core work, no stability work. So um, I think that's the biggest issue. So I don't think we have to go as far to say like no barbells at all. Right. I was intrigued by the whole just using dumbbells thing. Um, and, and I kind of went to the same thing you said where, you know, he's got time in the game. Like you got to respect his, his, his knowledge and how long he's been doing it. Um, but it was one of the first times that I'd heard somebody say like, don't use the barbell lift really, really yeah. slow. And he, there's like videos of him doing like a, you know, a 10 second, uh, single leg RDL and just talking about how like really slow tempos are the, are the key. Whereas like, you know, you read stuff from like uh, guys like Eric Helms and it's like, eh, that's not really what the research says, but you know, you're, you got time in. So what do you do? Yeah. I think you got to go right in the middle. You got to balance the two. Like I said earlier, I like tempo work to keep people having control in their movement so they don't get banged up. But I don't think we have to go so excessive because even if like, let's say I have a guy that comes to me, he's like, Hey, I have shoulder issues. But the reality is, is I'm not here to do mobility with you. I'm here to build muscle. So what are we going to do? I'm not going to do a nine second negative because I know the volume is key. If he does a nine second negative, his shoulders might feel better, 
um, but he also will smash his grip because it's so much time and attention and he won't be able to lift that much weight, which is going to lower total volume, which is going to lead to less muscle growth. So I'm going to say, let's do a two to three second negative. So you have control. Let's stop at like an RPE of eight when you do pressing to keep your shoulders healthy. So you're not going to maximum. You're staying in that sub max zone. Um, and then we'll use a barbell once per week, but we're probably going to do an incline, a decline or a floor press. Um, depending on the individual, I've seen both um, where flat bench press hurts, incline doesn't. I've also seen flat and incline hurts, decline doesn't. So I actually do like decline for some people because it changes the angle and allows your shoulder girdle to move in a better movement pattern for you personally. Keep the tension in your chest. And There's studies to show that the decline actually does hit more fibers of the chest. Um, it's probably why people can bench a little heavier in that position. And then I have a lot of people that uh, floor presses work great because you're limited on the range of motion. So you really can't overly extend your shoulders back during the bench press, which sometimes can cause, it's hard to say over audio, but can cause an anterior glide of your scapula, which is basically your shoulder just rolling forward. And now I'm just pinching on the joint. Um, so a floor press can keep it very easy because you have minimal range of motion. So um, I think it's just about being smart and changing things. But again, it goes back to my philosophy of like science applied, no matter what we're doing to adjust to make sure that you feel better, we still have to keep in mind that volume, intensity, and frequency are the three biggest keys to seeing results. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, so we've talked a lot about like good things to do in training, uh, like non-negotiable, like what you like to put in, but um, what would you consider like movements that like you don't want to use that you feel like maybe they don't have as much value as others? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is a good morning. I think that good mornings usually have more risk than reward. I like the idea of a good morning. And for a power lifter who needs to strengthen that movement pattern, I get it. For a lot of people, I just don't see the value in it because I feel like it puts a lot of tension on the lumbar spine. A lot of people don't have the core strength or the spinal erector strength in the backside to support that movement. So I'm not a big fan of good mornings for most people. Um, if we're just trying to build our glutes and hamstrings, there's a million other ways that we can do that. Hip thrusts, RDLs, um, glute ham raises, stuff like that, like just work so much better. Um, so that's one that comes to mind. Um, I would say crazy variations of like ab exercises. I see a lot of people just doing these insane sit-ups or there was a thing where people were like doing a sit-up and getting like smacked in the stomach with a dyna ball, which was just insane. Uh, but a lot of the stuff like that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, doing squats on a BOSU ball used to be and the reason I'm saying this is because I, I thought that nobody was doing that anymore. And I was actually at the gym literally on Friday last week. Um, and there was two guys doing barbell squat back squats on a BOSU ball in the squat rack. And I was like terrified for them. I was like, dude, that is, and they were both probably in their late forties. Like just, you don't have any business. Nobody has any business doing that. <laughs> Such a dumb exercise. So that's another one. I, th I think when people try to get overly creative, um, it's just, it's just too much, you know, like there's movement patterns and we should just stick to those. Like I understand getting bored and wanting to change up variations, but sometimes people just take it too far. And next thing you know, they're doing like a one legged RDL on a BOSU ball while they have like bands attached to different directions and a chain around their neck. And it's just like, come on, man. Like this is just, this is just getting insane. Go back to the basics. Um, but other than the crazy stuff, like there's nothing that comes to mind that I'm like, never do this one thing. We have a, we have a, like a running joke at the gym where, um, like if we see, you know, we, we, we like to think we offer, you know, very good programming. A lot of our coaches are really knowledgeable. Uh, but sometimes, you know, somebody will go get like a, you know, $25, 
program from this kettlebell guru and like whenever we see somebody doing it doing something stupid like we have a, a joke amongst coaches where we're like look such and such is over there doing a banded kettlebell split snatch again like just you know <laughs> just making up a, a, a silly joke when we see something like that um it's you know so, so common man. you know i thought we we're gonna be able to go into like nutrition business and all this stuff and holy crap um let's keep it on programming though here um so you, you i've done some programs where you look at like how many movements they have in a, in a, in a workout session. And it's like, you know, 12, you know, eight to 12 movements. Like it's just super crazy. And something I loved about yours was that, um, you know, you pay a lot of attention to that volume, frequency, intensity piece. And uh, the only way you can really give a good look at all those pieces is if you're focusing on less movements, more quality. Right. So when you're making a program, just generally speaking, um, let's say, you know, sticking with your science applied method of doing things, how many movements uh, per workout session do you feel is ideal? I mean, my famous answer, it depends. Right. But <laughs> I think, I think it, it depends on the split mainly, right? Like if I have an upper lower split, I'm going to do more movements than I would on a push pull leg split. If you give me someone that's doing a push pull legs, we might have like three or four movements for that day with just more sets. Um, like, there's a few things that go into this thought process. Number one is that we need to remember that muscles are stupid. Uh, my professor used to always say that Tim Vagan used to always say that muscles are stupid. They know one thing, tension, resistance, right? Like, so whether I am doing a dumbbell fly or a cable fly or a banded fly, none of that shit matters. All that matters is that I'm doing a fly movement pattern, right? So the reason I'm saying this is because I think people need to focus on one muscles are stupid, just no tension. And two, there's different joint angles that create different amounts of tension in different fibers of the muscle. So when I look at a program, we're going to do one fly. We're not going to do it. Like if somebody's trying to build their chest or just build their total body and we're doing a fly, we're not going to do an incline cable fly, a decline cable fly, a flat dumbbell fly, and then a finish with a band fly because they're all different, quote unquote. They're all the same. Your, your muscles are stupid. They don't know the difference. What they do know is the joint angle that the muscle is firing. And at that point, a fly is a fly. You're moving your arms and your shoulders in a certain movement pattern that is creating tension in certain fibers of your muscle. The press is a little bit different, right? So we're going to do a press and a fly. And that's probably the only things we're going to do for your chest that day. Maybe a dip, which is still more of a tricep exercise, but we're doing a little bit of that there too. Um, and then for example, the upper back, I'm not going to do a face pull, a shrug, a high pull, a upright row, and then a high elbow row. Like there's so many different variations where I'm driving my elbow up high and it's targeting my, my traps. I'm probably going to do some kind of trap work that's hitting the lower mid traps by doing some kind of a row with my elbow up a little bit, but it's still, it's an, uh, it's a retraction based movement, right? I'm retracting my scapula and then I'm going to do some kind of a shrug or an upright row. That's going to cause, um, elevation and depression of my scapula. So now I have two upper back exercises, right? For lats, same thing. I'm going to do a horizontal pull and a vertical pull, a little bit different. One's retraction based, one's depression based. So, I think if we can look at it this way, we can simplify things and know like, okay, like I don't need to run around the gym doing 18 different exercises to hit my chest. I can really just do like two or three and I can hit my muscles that way. So where this changes for how many uh, exercises I'm going to do per workout is if somebody's doing a upper lower split, I have less days in the gym. I have four days in the gym. So I'm probably going to be in the range of like anywhere between eight to 10 exercises, right? Total. And that's to hit my chest, shoulders, back and arms, right? So now I'm doing like two to three exercises per muscle group. 
um, if I am doing legs, same exact concept. And this goes a little bit even deeper. Like you can do a hip hinge to hit your hamstrings and you can do a knee flexion base. So like a knee curl to do, to hit your hamstrings. So if we just look at quote unquote volume, well, I could say, Hey, I'm just going to do six sets of RDLs because that's a hip hinge that hits my hamstrings, but I'm going to use the science and apply it and say, well, you're going to hit different parts of your hamstring in a different way by doing a leg curl because it's a knee flexion based movement. So instead of doing just hip hinges, let's do three sets of leg curls, three sets of RDLs instead of six sets of one of them. You're going to get more benefit, hit more parts of the muscle. Then we do that a second time of the week anyway. Total volume changes, uh, the, the tension of the muscle changes, where you're hitting the muscle changes. Um, and it's all based on joint angles. So, uh, but again, what I'm not going to do is a dumbbell RDL superseted with a barbell good morning superseted with a single leg RDL. They're all the same shit. It's a hip hinge that hits the RDL or the hamstrings, right? So um, it really, really does vary. Um, and then of course with a full body program, I might be hitting 12 exercises because we're gonna do less sets, but more variations because I got to hit total body. And on those I'm using different variations. Like I'm probably going to do like a feet elevated push up or an incline dumbbell press instead of a push up or a flat press or an overhead press, because let's get more bang for our buck. We're doing full body here. Let me hit the triceps, shoulders, and chest by doing an incline push up or dumbbell if that makes sense yeah, um yeah. So, so i think like as far as how many exercises i'm programming per workout it varies quite a bit but um the main thing i'm trying to do is like hit each muscle with just a couple exercises like two or three exercises that are really going to elicit change and they use different joint angles um, another quick example i can give for the arms this is it actually goes pretty deep for the arms but if we look at the arms we can basically hit two the two heads of our biceps by doing a supinated grip or a neutral grip, right? So we can do palms up or we can do neutral hammer style. Um, so one day of the week, I'm going to do hammer style. One day of the week, I'm going to do supinated. So now I'm hitting both angles of the bicep. What I'm also going to do is I'm going to do a curl with my shoulders pulled back into extension, like a drag curl, um, or just having my shoulders pulled way back on like an incline bench while I do curls. And then I'm going to do one where my elbows are actually flexed forward, like a preacher curl or, or something where my elbows can rest in front of me, like a slightly leaned forward um, curl where you curl the barbell or the dumbbells to your forehead. Either way, my elbows are in front of my body my shoulder angle is different and therefore I'm going to hit the head of the bicep a little bit differently. Um, so for clients, I'm going to program one day supinated shoulders back one day, hammer curl elbows forward. Now I'm hitting every aspect of the bicep, but what I'm not doing is a cable curl, a bicep curl, or sorry, a cable curl, an easy bar curl, a dumbbell curl. A lot of people do all these variations. And if you really look at it, their elbows and shoulders are in the same position throughout all the movements. Their grip is the same through all the movements. It's just different equipment, which doesn't lead to any different changes, if that makes sense. So like a push down is different than a push down with your shoulders extended backwards. So these are the things that I consider. And I know that was kind of like a lot of different things <laughs> thrown out there, but no, when we're perfect. programming, we should be thinking about joint angles and stuff like that and, and trying to minimize everything. Like in an ideal world, I'd rather do more sets of less exercises than the other way around. So I'm not running around the gym doing a ton of different things. And I think more people need to hear that too. Cause you know, me personally, I've done some programs in the past where, you know, I'm in there for like two hours and I've done 12 exercises. I've done uh, four different variations of, you know, for instance, rowing, just, you know, using bands or using cables, using a barbell. And then I'll do um, a thousand different variations of curls. But like you said, my elbows and my, my grip is in the same position. So, 
uh, I know me personally, I've, I've, I've grown and, and changed my outlook on that uh, in the past few years to the, to the point where uh, I, I swing more like on the, the John Russin side of things now where um, I, I look somewhere between like four and six, depending on the goal or whatever the person's trying to do, maybe a little less for my, uh, my CrossFitters. Um, but uh, I find that not only, not only can I just keep the program more simplified, but actually allow the person to learn the movement a little bit better, um, spend less time in the gym, work on more sets in that, uh, on that same exercise without just, you know, I feel sometimes maybe people do a lot of things that they don't need to do. Like they don't, they do uh, way over the amount of volume they should. And they're kind of just spinning their wheels instead of actually getting value from their training. Uh, so I found that with me personally, with less exercises, my body tends to respond uh, better. And as far as coaching is concerned, I find it to be a lot easier to allow my athletes and my clients to learn how to do the movement better and to be able to, like you said, do more sets and volume with that. Yeah. And, and find what works for you. You know, like I know what exactly what lateral raise works really well for me. It's a seated dumbbell with my pinky rotating forward. I choose that over a like a cable or a band or any other type of lateral raise because I've done them all. I know what's going to hit my shoulders and what I'm going to feel the most. So I'd rather do more sets on that than trying to change a variation a bunch. So I think for people out there, figure out what works for you and do that. And then, and then of course it changes for everything. Like you said, with CrossFit, you can do even less like a CrossFit where you could do 10 sets of three on a clean and then like a 10 minute EMOM of like two rope climbs and then finish with a, kettlebell swing, assault bike, AMRAP or something. You've done four exercises. It's an hour long workout and it's brutal, right? Yeah. Like you don't need a ton. It, it, so it's all very specific to what you're trying to do. So I think I was talking in, in very much like body composition standpoint as far as yeah. like building muscle. Um, and that's where I was kind of directing my answer, but, um, but it just changes. And that's, what's so cool about training, dude. And like in programming and science, it's like, there's just so many different routes we can take with all these different things. And it's just constantly evolving. Yeah, it's a, you know, I'm going through the, the Eric Helms uh, strength pyramid book right now. And uh, luckily, a lot of the things that are, you know, science based and evidence based, I've been doing it just from, you know, reading blogs and doing certifications and stuff like that. But it's cool to hear, um, you know, when I hear guys like you talk or Faruja or Luca, and I hear all you guys uh, speaking on training, um, I'm seeing everything that Eric Helms is talking about. And then um, things that I've seen anecdotally that I've done myself over the past years. Um, but Hey man, I want to respect your time. I want to appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I, I just I got two more parting questions for you here. I don't have anything cool like the, uh, like you do at the end of your podcast where it's like, you know, people sitting at a, at a dinner table with you or something like that. But, um, just if you could, for the people listening to this, what are some of your, uh, let's just say your top three most recommended books, training or lifestyle uh, doesn't matter. Okay. Um, number one is going to be the go giver without a doubt. I think the go giver is I've gifted it so many times. It's just such a phenomenal book. Um, the go givers number one, um, top three is tough. I would say, I don't think it's the best book for everybody, but I think a lot of people can get a lot out of the alchemist. Um, I've read that a bunch of times. It's a fictional story. It's a tale about a little boy chasing his dream, but I think it's just so powerful. Um, that was the first book that really set me on a path to chasing my dreams and what I wanted. So I, I love that book. And then my third would probably be 
the leader who had no title. Um, oh, just such a one. Yeah, dude, it's such a good book to just. And those are in no order. I would I would say because I I love them all. Now that I'm saying them, and I think the leader who had no title is just such a good book to just remember that everybody's equal. Just just work hard. Just do the right thing, you know. Um, and if I could add a fourth for like the trainers and the nutritionists, I would say the Muscle and Strength Pyramids by Eric Helms. Like so it's almost overwhelming. There's so much shit in there. It's just everything you need to know about training and nutrition is in those books. I think it's very very powerful. Um, so I would definitely recommend those too. For the leader with no title, did you ever audiobook that? I did. I've actually, I've listened to the audiobook twice and I've read the book twice. So it's, it's pretty cool um, to hear the voices and stuff in that, like the, the way the author does it. I was, uh, I, so I, I listened to it first and then I read it again. Um, and I definitely enjoy the audio version better. Yeah. Um, I, I did it the other way around. Robin Sharma has got some great books, man. He's a really good author. I just listened to him on the Lewis house podcast the other day. I'd, uh, never really heard him speak other than, uh, when you read his book, obviously, but, um, all right, last thing. So, uh, I'm always curious how people learn. Like I'm a very like hands-on learner, for instance. Um, like how do you learn new things? Like, uh, what methods do you tend to, to lean towards? Is it like more audio or, uh, more audio, more visual, or are you hands-on? Like, um, how do you learn the best? Uh, reading for sure. I, I'm, I'm big on, especially hard copies. If I can get a hard copy, I'm always the one ordering a hard copy. A lot of books now you have to get eBooks, um, which is understandable. I've come out with books. And I understand how much easier it is to do an eBook than a hard yeah, copy. Yeah. So I get it, but I'm definitely a hands-on reader. I love sitting down with a book and a journal and like taking notes on stuff. And then I think something that has really helped me learn um, is teaching. So I will purposely schedule content to be created that kind of forces me to dive deeper into the research. Um, I, I might know a little bit about it, but I want to know more. So I will purposely say, Hey, Travis, we're filming this on Thursday and it forces me to go read more content. And I've always done that. I've always told myself like, I'm going to film content on this. I'm going to record a podcast on this. I'm going to write a blog today on this. Cause I heard about X, Y, Z and it forces me to look at PubMed and, and mass research review and all these different places and actually create content. And I find when I write in such a detailed manner or I speak, um, I used to teach at a technical college at the uh, National Personal Training Institute, I think it's called, mm -hmm. MBTI. Um, I used to, uh, I taught there for a year and creating the curriculum was like such a good experience for me because every day I, I taught three days a week, I'd have to come in with a presentation with assignments and like create these like things for students who are trying to become trainers and nutritionists. Like, that shit pushed me to learn so much more. So I think like for me, one of the reasons I'm able to really learn a lot and retain all this knowledge is really just because I use it for content. I create so much with it. I teach my clients with it. And I think that's like the secret sauce for me. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, Cody, thank you so much for coming on the, uh, the podcast today. Um, if you uh, feel free to do a, a couple plugs, where can people find you at? Where's the best avenue to, to, to learn more about you and to learn more information from you? Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on, dude. I always love these conversations. Uh, best place to find me is boomboomperformance.com. That's where everything is on Instagram. I'm at Cody.boomboom, but everything is on the website. We have the FAQ page, the blog, the eBooks, the podcast, literally everything is just boom, boom performance. Awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our show today. Before you go, do me a favor. Head on over to iTunes. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you like and love about the podcast. Tell us about guests that you want us to have on or uh, really any feedback that you have for us. Is, we're completely open to it. Um, and then do me another favor. Go ahead and take a screenshot 
go ahead and post it on your Instagram story or your feed and tag it. I love to know who's listening to this and then um, see who's getting value from it. And then one last thing before you go, if you happen to be looking for remote workout programming or nutrition counseling, um, myself and my team are doing doing some great work with people both remotely and in our uh, gym location here in Silverdale, Washington. So um, if you're interested in that, go ahead and send me an email at Cody at CrossFit7Cities.com and we'll go ahead and get you started. Um, and again, thanks for listening today.